So it was a little bit of an um, adventurous week. That's not true. It was a complete disaster of a week medically in our home this week. I know I've, I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks a, a little bit of the medical nightmare that our lives have been from time to time in the last little while. But we were, my family and I were at the hospital this week, no kidding, no fewer than six times plus two specialist appointments on the side. That was our week this week. It drove me crazy. It was a little bit of everything, too. It was everything from my daughter having uh, an ear infection after the walk-in clinic closed um, to, on Wednesday, my wife's lung collapsed for the umpteenth time this year, and she received a third uh, chest tube to try and reinflate her lung. I was at the hospital on Tuesday. You'll like this. I was there Tuesday morning. Uh, because my respirologist had ordered what's called a pH test, wondering whether I've been aspirating stomach acid into my lung, and that's why I've been battling with bronchitis for two years. So you know what this test is? It's awesome. They took this tube, and they put it up my nose and all the way down my throat, you know, and right almost to the bottom of the esophagus, till it was just a couple centimeters above my stomach, and the tube came out my nose and they wrapped it around my ear and taped it to my face. And then it went down to like this little computer in a fanny pack. And I got to wear that for 24 hours. Well, the computer measured the acidity in my esophagus to try and figure out whether reflux was getting up and moving over into my lungs. It was amazingly comfortable to have a tube sticking out my nose for 24 hours. Um, so on Wednesday morning, I had to go back to the hospital to get that tube um, removed. And that was the night Krista's lung collapsed. So I had to drive back. To, this is all in Hamilton, right, by the way. So I had to drive back to Hamilton that night to get her and drive her home from work. And then on Friday morning, we went back to Hamilton because Krista had to get her chest tube removed. And I needed to have a CAT scan of my head because my respirologist with this pH test had basically washed his hands of my case of bronchitis and said that he had no idea what it was for or what it was causing it. So he referred me, said this has got to be a sinus issue, referred me to an ENT who probed my nose last week and said that he saw signs of sinus disease and so ordered a CAT scan of my head to verify his findings. So I had my head CAT scanned on Friday. Everybody turned to their neighbor and say they didn't find anything. Ha <laughs> um, so I've had that now done, and, and assuming that the CAT scan affirms the ENT's uh, suspicions, we're going to schedule a surgery date for me to deal with the sinus disease. Krista now has surgery late fall to deal with her collapsing lung issue, and it's just been, this has been this year, this whole year, since my father-in-law had a stroke a year ago, this whole year has been in and out of hospital. It's been one medical issue after another for the whole stinking year. And it's just getting to be so much. It's, none of it's huge, but it's just all of it together. It's just so much. Somebody asked Krista a little while ago what she wants for Christmas. She said, I just want it to stop. I just want it to stop. I want somebody to come and make it go away. And I know that there are people in the community who know exactly what I'm talking about because you've been carrying stuff for longer than we have that's heavier than what we're carrying. Um, and you know what it's like to live in that space where you just want it to go 
away. If you're not in that space, all you have to do is go to the prayer wall, southridge.cc slash prayer. Please go to the prayer wall and read the stories and pray for people in our community who are struggling at work and who are struggling with addiction and who are struggling with depression, who are fighting with siblings and fighting in marriages and fighting with exes and people whose loved ones have been in car accidents and who are being rushed to the hospital, people whose parents are dying. A coworker of ours at the church this week, his dad died uh, and he headed out to Nova Scotia to, to bury his dad. And the shelter community had its second funeral in a matter of a month this week and another one is coming. There's just so much pain in the community. So many people in the community that I know are just, they just want, I just want it to stop. You just want somebody to come in and to clear it all away and to make it stop. And if that's you this morning, then I have good news for you because as we turn back to the book of Matthew this morning for the next six weeks, this morning in particular, but this whole series, this series is is for you. Because here's where we pick up the story. We're picking it up in Matthew chapter 8, but but Matthew foreshadowed what this series was going to be all about back in Matthew chapter 4. This is what he wrote back in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 23. He says, Jesus, sorry, I'm just waiting for this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That's Matthew at the end of chapter four, letting us know what his agenda is for the next six chapters of the book that he's writing about Jesus. Because the three chapters that follow, five, six, and seven, are all about Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's what we've been studying for the last year and a half. But chapters eight, nine, and 10 are about the other half of that verse where he wants to unpack what it looks like for Jesus to heal every disease and sickness among the people. That's what these stories are all about. And this morning, I want us to take a look at three episodes in the life of Jesus in his healing ministry, beginning at Matthew chapter eight, starting in verse one, where it says this. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Matthew picks up the story right after Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And he said he was just coming down the mountainside. And he said there was this huge crowd of people crushed around him. And in the middle of this crowd, a leper finds Jesus. Now, leprosy is a terrible disease in the age. Well, it's a terrible disease in the 21st century as well. But when we use the word leprosy, we understand something different than in the ancient world. We generally use the word leprosy to mean Hansen's disease, which is a terrible, awful disease. But in the ancient world, they used the word leprosy to describe all sorts of skin conditions. It was kind of like the way we use the word cancer. Cancer is not a disease. Cancer is a a family of diseases, a family of afflictions, some of which are relatively benign and others of which are obviously terrible and fatal. And that's the way they use the word leprosy. Leprosy in the ancient world could mean Hansen disease, but it also could just mean psoriasis. 
But the thing was, in the ancient world, they didn't have modern diagnostic tools. And so they didn't know how to necessarily tell the difference between a skin condition that was psoriasis and a skin condition that was Hansen's disease. And so driven by fear, they used to quarantine these people who were afflicted by skin conditions that would fall under the banner, the umbrella of leprosy. It was the same kind of fear uh, that drives people when they're afraid they've been exposed to Ebola or SARS. Remember that? It's just flat out panicky fear. And they would take these lepers and literally kick them out of their homes and remove them from their families and throw them out of the city. They were no longer allowed within any walled city in Israel. And they had to live outside the city in a colony with other lepers. That was the only people they could socialize with were other lepers. They were completely ostracized from the rest of society. Just out of fear, right? They didn't understand things like germs and viruses and they didn't have infection control or vaccinations. And so they just, the only recourse was to remove these people entirely from society. You know, they were allowed to wander around outside of the colonies so long as they were in the open, you know, countryside. But whenever they did, when there were people around, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, to warn everybody around them that they had leprosy. So that people would, you know, pass them on a wide berth that they would um, basically ward off human contact by this humiliating cry that they had to yell, by law, unclean, unclean. You can't imagine how lonely, how awful it would be to be separated from your family for all those years, to be basically removed from all human contact. But it wasn't just a a physical thing and a social thing. It was a spiritual thing. It was a disease that was stigmatized in the ancient world. It, had all, it came with all the fear of Ebola and all the stigma of AIDS, basically. People believed that there were only two reasons why someone would contract leprosy. Either they were being afflicted by the devil or they were being punished by God. Either way, a leper was like spiritually radioactive. You, you did not want to and could not stand to be anywhere around them for the sake of your spirit. These were people who, for one reason or the other, were rejected by God. In fact, the word unclean symbolizes that they have been labeled as unfit for the presence of God. They were excluded from worship. So not only did they believe that, that you know, their family had rejected them and their society, their friends, their, their hometown had rejected them, but God had rejected them as well. Can't imagine the psychological toll that that would take on a person. Somebody living with leprosy in the ancient world would feel ostracized and helpless and hopeless and worthless and would just despair of their life. Until this man hears about a miracle working prophet. A man who's grabbing all the headlines and drawing all the crowds for the way that he's able apparently to heal people of their diseases and sickness and this leper is so desperate and so driven and so motivated to be rescued that he ignores all protocol and elbows his way through this crowd and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus and he looks up at it and he says with this conviction in his voice, he says, Lord, I know that if you want to, you can make me clean. It's an interesting word. The leper doesn't say, I know that you can heal me. 
like just deal with the physical side. He doesn't want to be healed in the sense of having the physical symptoms of his disease dealt with. He wants to be made clean. He wants all of it to be cleaned. Spiritually, socially, um, psychologically, physically. He wants someone to come into his life and clean up this mess that this disease had made of his life. He says, Lord, I know that if you want to, you can help me. And there's this incredibly poignant moment in Matthew chapter 8, verse 3, where it says, and Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. If you pay attention to how Matthew's put the story together, this is the very center and the centerpiece of the whole story. This man who has been cut off from human contact for who knows how long. This man has been rejected by society at every level. This man who has felt rejected by God himself suddenly finds himself face to face to Jesus and Jesus extends his hand and touches him. He doesn't just touch him. On the shoulder, he touches him in the spirit. He touches him in his soul. He touches him in his psyche. Jesus touches the man and he says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus, in response to the suffering of this man enters into his reality in compassion. And the power of God flows through Jesus and heals this man. I wonder how many people in our community this morning are just weighed down by the brokenness that you carry. Whatever it is, it's way beyond just some sort of physical affliction. It is, it's affecting you mentally. It is affecting you emotionally. It is affecting you spiritually. You, by some people, you feel judged. You feel stigmatized. You feel ostracized. You are getting helpless and hopeless. God feels distant. People feel absent. And you just don't know where else to turn. This story is for you. Second story. Actually, it's the third story that Matthew tells, but I want to read it second. Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. It says, when Jesus came into Peter's house, Peter, one of his disciples, is probably the family that Jesus lived with. His whole, Jesus' whole ministry um, emerges out of the town of Capernaum where Jesus', where Jesus disciple Peter lives. And, and Jesus probably lived with this family. And so this is his house actually archaeologists feel like they've uncovered this house in the excavation of Capernaum. But he enters Peter's house and he sees Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And he touches her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him for a, a second time. Jesus finds himself confronted by somebody who is unclean. The rabbis used to say that um, no one is allowed to touch anyone that has a fever lest they be rendered themselves spiritually unclean, spiritually unfit for the presence of God until they can go through the act of ritual cleansing. But it's not just that this woman has a fever, it's that this woman is a woman. 
Jewish men in the first century not allowed to have any interaction with women, of, really of any kind. A first century historian named Josephus says that in every way, he's Jewish, he says in every way women are inferior to men on every count. It was the mentality uh, in the first century in Israel. It's not our mentality at Southridge, but it's been sadly a mentality that has carried its way for much of history and through much of the world and still to this day in too much of the church. I mean, we're, we want to, especially in the last couple of years, we want to become this kind of community where, we, where women feel equal uh, to men in every way, where men realize that women are superior to men in just about every way, where women feel the freedom to teach and to lead and influence and to be and to do everything in this community that a man has ever or will ever do in this community with equal endorsement and blessing of God and equal power to, to, to be a, an agent of God's change in the world. That's the kind of community we want to be, but that's not the way it was then. The rabbis would avoid all contact with women. No Jewish man was supposed to either talk to a woman or touch a woman in public who was not his relative. In fact, one of the rabbis once said that a, a man who talks too much to a woman will find himself neglecting his own soul and it will eventually lead him into hell. That was a bit harsh. But the point is Jesus is not supposed to have anything to do with this woman who has a fever. And yet in a, in a way that's exactly parallel to Jesus' encounter with the leper, when you look at how Matthew's put together the story, the center of the story and the centerpiece of the story is this moment when Jesus reaches out and touches her hand. This woman who, who had been debilitated by this fever. It's not like she had a fever and it was a symptom of something else. It wasn't like it was like a hot flash and she just had to put a cold compress on her head and lie on the couch. Well, this thing was a debilitating. In fact, the text says that she had been thrown down onto her bed by this fever. She had been knocked down and knocked out. This woman, because of this fever, whatever was going on inside of her, had become an empty shell of her former self. And Jesus, stepping into her world, stepping into her life, reaches out his hand and he touches her. The, the fascinating thing about this story is that this is all Jesus' initiative. Nobody comes to Jesus. Nobody falls at Jesus' feet. Nobody begs Jesus. Nobody tries to convince Jesus or coerce Jesus to do this healing. Jesus, all the text says is he sees and he touches and he heals. And instantly, this woman is restored to the health and vigor of her former self. She leaps up out of her bed and she begins to serve him. It's this incredible story of Jesus entering it. And it makes me wonder how many, how many people in our community have been knocked down or knocked out of the game of life by whatever it is that you're carrying right now. I mean, this thing, whatever it is, has so beaten you up, you would barely qualify as an empty shell of your former self and you no longer have the strength or the energy to even cry out to God or to ask for help. All you can do is hope that somehow he will notice and touch you and bring healing in your life. Second story. Here's the third story. 
the one that Matthew puts in the middle, which is in the place of prominence in the way Jews tell stories. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, it says, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Capernaum was a military town. It was a border town. And it was populated in large measure by foreign occupying troops that had invaded Israel and who now had taken it upon themselves to police the city of Capernaum, to be the ones responsible to maintain public order, to do border patrol and to man the custom booths, to make sure that every Jewish citizen in Capernaum had paid their taxes to go to Caesar to pay the soldiers to impose their oppressive will on the people. They were foreign invaders having taken over their country and they were hated. They were as welcome in Capernaum as Western soldiers are in Afghanistan. Foreign invaders who have no business being here are telling us what to do or how to live. And the centurion, the centurion is the worst of them all because he's their commanding officer. He is the poster child of everything they hate about the presence of these soldiers in their community. He's the one, every time somebody gets oppressed or mistreated, every time somebody gets gouged at the tax booth, he's the one who made it happen. He was hated. Hated for being a Gentile. Hated for being a soldier. Hated for being the one who's made life the way that it is in Capernaum. Hated by the Jews and yet desperate. Says he comes to Jesus. The word in the Greek literally means beg. He begs Jesus to come and to heal his servant who is being crippled by this debilitating disease, lying in mortal agony in a culture without morphine. This um, centurion has a servant. Some translations say son. But it was a servant, a young boy who would have grown up in the centurion's home and played with the centurion's kids for as long as his kids can remember. A a young boy who would have become like a son to this soldier. And now this centurion is crippled by seeing this boy crippled by this debilitating disease. This centurion is in agony, seeing this boy in agony, without any relief in sight. And I wonder how many people in our community this morning are in agony watching the agony of a loved one who is suffering with no end in sight, who are absolutely crippled and debilitated, not knowing what to do, paralyzed in fear because of the way the condition of this loved one has paralyzed them. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you have to do something. And Jesus' response is remarkable. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The question is not really as innocent as it sounds. The the word I in the question is in the emphatic position in the Greek sentence, which means what Jesus is saying is me, huh? You want me to come to your house and heal this guy? Because truth is the Jewish answer was no. The rabbi said that if you touch a Gentile or entile a Gentile's home, you become unclean. You become spiritually unfit for the presence of God. And you will remain unfit for the presence of God until you go home and take a bath and literally wash the spiritual taint of this Gentile off your body. 
I don't think Jesus was being condescending or harsh. I think Jesus was giving the centurion an opportunity to respond. And when the centurion responded, what he said next made my jaw hit the floor. I'm thinking about starting to write for Upworthy. Um, He says this in verse 8, the centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He emphasized the word my. He said, my roof? You under my roof? Never. Never. I wouldn't think of it. I don't deserve it. He says, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. The centurion says, listen, he says, I know that you're not allowed in my home. I know that you're not allowed to touch me or to touch my servant or to be in our home by Jewish law. I know that you're not allowed. And I would never ask you to do it. But this much, the centurion says, this much I understand. I exist as a part of a chain of command that goes all the way back to Caesar who sits on his throne in Rome. All authority comes from Caesar. And so long as I live my life submissively under the authority of Caesar, a Caesar's authority gets delegated to me. And everybody who's under me lives under the authority of Caesar that's exercised through me. And so that when I say something, stuff happens. In the words of a few good men, we follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. That's how it works in a chain of command. You live submissively to the authority above you and everyone beneath you has to respond to your authority because their authority rests on you. And what centurion means to say is, Jesus, I know it's exactly the same with you because you live your life in absolute and utter total submission to the God of heaven. And therefore his authority rests on you and everything under your authority, which Jeff reminded us two weeks ago, is uh, everything in heaven and on earth. Everything has to respond to your command. So Jesus, here's what I know. All you have to do is say the word. And the disease will leave. And Jesus is blown away by the centurion's answer. And he says, just go. And your servant is going to be okay. And it says in the text that at that very hour, his servant was healed. And friends, this is the point that Matthew wants us to see. This is what Matthew is trying to draw our attention to. That Jesus is somebody who brings healing and hope and restoration into the lives of people who are hurting and broken and dying. Jesus does that. And it's not just these few isolated incidences. At the end of this morning's text, Matthew says, when evening came, Many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with a word and he healed all the sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our diseases. Matthew says this, don't think it was just these three people, it was everybody. It was everybody who came to him received healing. That's what Jesus does because that's who Jesus is. Matthew says when the prophet Isaiah foresaw 800 years before Jesus was born, when the prophet saw the coming of the Messiah and him ushering in the kingdom of God which is an era of God's love flooding the world 
Isaiah saw that God's love would come and spark a tidal wave of healing and hope and restoration, that the Messiah would be somebody who came to scoop up our infirmities and to carry our diseases. Those two words refer to the entire spectrum of things that create hurt and pain and brokenness in our lives. Everything from emotional, mental anguish to physical pain. Everything, Isaiah says, he came to bring healing in the love of God into the world. That's who Jesus is and that's what Jesus does. And if you're here this morning and you're hurting and you're broken and you're in pain, and you can't carry it anymore, and you just want someone to step in your world and to make it stop, Matthew wants you to know that that's who Jesus is, that under the authority of God, Jesus has the authority to command that pain to go and to bring healing and hope and restoration in your life. Now, I know, I know it doesn't happen all the time. I know it doesn't happen all the time. You don't have to explain that to me. Because my mom died six years ago of a brain tumor. And my son was stillborn four years ago, this very month anyway. And my father-in-law is debilitated and crippled in a wheelchair because of a stroke. And my friend Mark could never get over his depression and took his own life. I know it doesn't always happen. And I don't know why it doesn't happen sometimes. I don't. I think sometimes, we talked about this last week, the connection between sin and brokenness, sometimes it doesn't happen because we won't let go of our sin. I think sometimes it doesn't happen because we don't want to be made well because we've become codependent with our brokenness. I think sometimes God sees a higher purpose in allowing us to struggle the way we are. Paul says, you know, I prayed that God would heal me this thing and God said, no, you're better for the kingdom this way. I think sometimes Honestly, evil just wins battles. In the, we live in a battleground, in the cosmic war between good and evil, between God and the devil. And yes, ultimately, love wins in the end. And everyone receives healing in eternity. But in the moment, sometimes evil wins the battle. And we get to live with pain because there's evil in the world. But here's what I do know. I know that some of the time it doesn't happen because Jesus' brother James said, you don't receive because you don't ask. Sometimes we don't receive healing because we don't pray. Because we don't pray persistently. Because we don't pray passionately. Because we don't fall on their knees and beg Jesus to bring healing into our lives. It doesn't happen sometimes because we forget somehow that the Jesus we worship sits on the throne of the universe with all the authority of God resting on him. He being given authority over everything in heaven and on earth and that he has the power to heal. We forget sometimes that Jesus said, yes, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We forget sometimes that God's kingdom is breaking into our lives, that God's love is flooding the world, that Jesus is bringing with them a tidal wave of healing and hope and restoration and I don't want us to be a community that forgets I want us to be a community that lives with the faith of the leper who audaciously barges into the presence of Jesus and says I know you can do this if only you want to I want us to live with the trust of the centurion who says Jesus it just takes a word say the word and I will go home 
I want us to live with the faithfulness of Peter's mother-in-law whose whole life was lived to serve. And the moment Jesus was active in her life, the way she responded was with an act of service and humility. I want us to be people who remember that God has given Jesus authority over everything and that Jesus loves to bring healing into the world, that he is the one who carries our infirmities and bears our diseases. I want us to be a community that prays for healing, that prays at the front after services for healing, that prays in our life group as we walk with each other for healing, that prays when we read the prayer wall for healing, that prays individually with our friends for healing. I want to see our community be a community that prays that God would unleash a tidal wave of healing among us so that people could look at what God is doing in our midst and say the kingdom of God is coming among them. And I want to give you a chance to pray for that stuff that you're carrying right now, right in your location. I'm going to ask the band to come to the stage and for a host or facilitator to come to the stage in your location and guide us through some moments of prayer where we come to God in the spirit of the leper and the centurion and Peter's mother-in-law and beg Jesus to show himself in our community in the way he brings healing among us. Let's pray together.